Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about how a one-time journalism major who started out her career working in sales at Time Magazine went on to found and run what is now the largest privately held non-alcoholic beverage companies in the U.S., then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest did just that while she was raising four kids. Unbelievable. But before I introduce you to Kara Golden, the founder of Hint Water, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's newsletter that gives you firsthand career advice and job-seeking insights that I've gleaned from interviewing professionals like Kara who actually work in the industries that most interest you. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org and the sign up box is right there. And while you're there, please check out any of the hundreds of other interviews I've done with professionals in dozens of different industries. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Cara Golden, the founder of Hint Water, an American beverage company. And it produces absolutely delicious fruit-infused flavored water with no sugar and no diet sweeteners. And there's even a hint energy water with 60 milligrams of clean plant-based caffeine. So there are no more excuses about not drinking those eight glasses of water every day. Before Cara decided to become a startup entrepreneur in the hyper-competitive beverage industry, her only connection to the industry was as a consumer. She was a diet cola junkie who drank upwards of 10 cans a day. That's what was fueling her when she worked as vice president of e-commerce and shopping at America Online. Prior to spending seven years at AOL, Cara logged a couple of years in sales at CNN. And before that, she worked as a circulation manager at Time Magazine. Not exactly the resume you'd expect from a future badass CEO of a fast-growing company racking up an estimated $100 million in beverage sales. Cara might say otherwise, and she does in her best-selling book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, and on her terrific podcast, The Cara Golden Show. Cara, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated on hint water and ready to go? I am definitely drinking my hint right here. So I'm drinking strawberry lemon. 
It's not one that I'm usually drinking, actually. And it's really nice. It's uh, one of these this morning. I grabbed it out of the fridge and it's really great. I'm guessing with four kids, you probably have just a whole fridge that is set aside for hint water. Yeah. Well, that is when you found a company and uh, that is a physical good company and it happens to be a water company. That is one of the bennies of having lots of water. It's funny. We, we live uh, in Marin County, just outside of San Francisco, and we live right next to a national park. And a lot of people uh, are actually not a national park. I should say it's a state park. And a lot of people that go to the park pass our house. And when they forget water, they always knock on our door and they're like, the Goldens will definitely have some water. And so we always have plenty of water for people. So we're the water house for sure. I love it. Well, I want to let you know, there are so many reasons why I am super excited to interview you today. And the first, of course, being that I do love Hint. As I mentioned to you before we started, I discovered it about seven or eight years ago, and it's phenomenal. And I remember reading the label because I was like, there has got to be something that's not good for me hidden in here. But it is the real deal. Thank you. It was kind of an, a discovery that I had, gosh, almost 17 and a half years ago now when I was looking for a product like this. I had given up drinking diet soda after many years of consuming many cans and fountain drinks that were of Diet Coke in particular. And that's when I finally said, I'm going to start drinking water. And for me, it was actually when my kids were born that I really got serious about reading what was in products that I was giving them. And, you know, definitely paying attention to, I trusted a lot in the word diet and natural wasn't even a word that was really used at that time. It was really the word diet, which later I figured out was really for me, healthy perception versus healthy reality. And when I thought about my diet soda and realized I would never give that to my kids. So why am I okay with giving it to me? That's when I swapped for plain water. I lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks. My skin cleared up. I mean, it, I just felt so much better just by giving up the diet soda. And that's when I thought there's only one problem. And that's that water is boring. At least for me, it was incredibly boring. And I thought I need to put something in there that flavors it. And so I started slicing up fruit anything that I could find, pomegranates, raspberries, strawberries, throwing it in the water. And when I would meet people, friends for lunch or even go to the gym, people would ask me what was in my water. And I thought, uh, pomegranate? I mean, you know, why are people asking me over and over again? And then when I looked in the beverage aisle at my local store, that's when I realized that people weren't using, companies weren't using real fruit in their product. They weren't, oftentimes it was colored. Oftentimes it had some sort of sweetener in it, whether it was sugar or diet sweeteners. And I thought, why isn't there a product that just uses fruit and water and no sweeteners? That's what I really need. And I was shocked that no one had done that. In fact, I 
gave the idea to many people along the way, including a Coke executive about a year into running this company because I thought they know a lot more than I do and I should just get them to launch this product and I can go back to tech and work in tech. But when I realized that the problem really is that we were not only starting a company, but starting an entirely new category that was truly focused on a mission around health to get people off of diet sweeteners. Then the dots started to connect around the fact that this wasn't a product that a lot of soda companies, especially 17 years ago, wanted to invest in or call attention to it or, or take on that problem. I committed to really growing that idea and that company and the category. And today it's over quarter of a billion dollar company in sales. It is the largest privately held non-alcoholic beverage in the US today that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi or Dr. Pepper Snapple. And it, it's incredible. And you know, every day we hear from consumers who have tried the product similar to the story that you were sharing with me about how you found it at Google and many people found it along the way and how it's really helping people in their own way drink water or get off of sweeteners altogether or control their diabetes, type 2 diabetes in particular, or get through chemotherapy treatments. And more than anything, when I hear the word help associated with my product that I develop, that's a powerful thing. If you ever get an opportunity to start a company that helps people or start a nonprofit that helps people in some way, there is no going back, right? You are doing something that is meaningful, that has purpose. And that is what I chose to do. Well, speaking of going back, Kara, I'd like to go way back to when you were an undergrad and you went to Arizona State University and you were a journalism and communications major. You weren't majoring in entrepreneurship. I don't even know if the entrepreneurship major existed back when you and I were in school. Why did you pick journalism? And did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? It's interesting. I was, I always enjoyed writing. My dad was actually loved writing as well. He was a product manager. I talked about him a lot, uh, that he was a frustrated entrepreneur working inside of a large company. He had developed a brand called Healthy Choice, which is still alive and well today. But it was, it was really him, I think, that inspired me to, to start writing and journaling. And, and so by the time I got to college, sort of the natural progression was to go and get a major in that the interesting thing about my journey, though, was when I was in college, I had a couple of sorority sisters who were finance majors. They were business majors, and they were always studying finance and talking EBITDA and lots of things that were really foreign to me. And so when I had an opening in my schedule to take a finance class, that's when I decided, I'm curious about it. I should go take a finance class. It was the first C that I had ever gotten in my life when I took this finance class. It was really hard. And it was, was like me with economics, microeconomics. 
Yeah, it did not come naturally at all. And so I went up to the professor and I said, I either need to drop this class or I need to get some help in some way because this just is a lot harder than I thought. And I've never had a tough time with basic math and and some of the other classes that I'm challenged in. This is really, really tough for me. And he said, here's one suggestion. I think you, you should get a subscription to the Wall Street Journal and also to Fortune Magazine. And hopefully after reading those every week, you will, things will start to connect for you because they simplify a lot of the terms that we're talking about in class. And I think that was such a great suggestion that he gave. I mean, I, I would hold on to all my Wall Street Journal papers. My roommates decided one day because they were so sick of seeing the Wall Street Journal that they wallpapered my room. With the <laughs> tired of, don't throw out the Wall Street Journal. But for me, Fortune Magazine was a really unique story for me because I felt like there were stories in there. So I loved the journalism and the way that they told stories to connect things that I was learning. And when I not only got through that course, but I also decided to get a minor in finance because I thought there is a lot going on here that is not so easy for me, but it definitely is challenging me. And I enjoy a lot of the people that are also taking some of my courses I decided that when I was looking for a job, I definitely wanted to work in journalism, but I wanted to work for a company and a brand that I admired. And hopefully there would be people that work at a brand or a company that I admired that I would learn from. And I opened up my Fortune magazine and in the front of the inside front cover, they said who the managing editor was, Marshall Loeb. And I wrote to Marshall Loeb and I said, I want to tell you a story. And I said, thank you for allowing me to learn from your stories. And I went on um, to share about how I received a C and the professor told me to get a subscription to Fortune magazine And now I'm graduating and I'm looking for a role. And here is why I want to come work for you. I didn't say you should hire me. I didn't say that I was, I had tons of experience that I had worked in a million internships. I was very authentic and honest about how I was inspired. And I was a hard worker and I was a good writer and that I would love to come and meet him. And he wrote me a letter back and said, if you're ever in the New York area, let me know. And I would love to meet you. He didn't say, I'm going to give you a job. He didn't say, I'm going to give you an interview. But all I needed was that little opening to say, if you're ever in the New York area. So what did I do? I bought a plane ticket to go out to New York. And I told all my friends at Arizona State University that I was going to New York. And they said, how are you going to meet with him? And I said, well, I haven't figured that out yet, but I think I'm going to go to the HR office and I'm going to get an interview with Marshall. And so 
that's exactly what I did. I flew out. I used all my waitressing money and babysitting money and bought my plane ticket. I stayed with my sister's friend who was living in New York. And I went into the Time and Life building. And this is before security. So I walked up to the HR department. I'll never forget the woman who was sitting at the reception desk. I pulled out my letter from Marshall Logue and I said, I'm here to see Marshall. I got this letter and she said, uh, do you have an appointment? And I said, no, I, I don't. She said, if you're ever in the New York area, she didn't know what to do with me. And so I waited and she said, just a minute. And she called her head of HR and she said, she came out and she said, I'm really sorry to tell you, but you don't have an appointment and you don't have experience. And so you will not be getting a meeting with Marshall Loeb and you will not be getting a role with Marshall. We always hire people who have a lot of experience. And I said, okay, well, I'm here until tomorrow. Are there other roles in the building with other magazines? You have a lot of magazines in the building. Prior to even walking in the building, I didn't know that Time Magazine and Sports Illustrated and people, I take a job at, at any of them. But I got my foot in the door, I thought, by sending a letter into Marsha Loeb. And she looked at me and said, well, actually, at Time Magazine, there's an executive assistant role in circulation. Would you be interested in interviewing for that? And I said, that would be terrific. And she said, why don't you have a seat? I'll be right back. And she came back and she said, she will interview you. And I said, terrific. Little did I know that Brooke McMurray was looking for an assistant for months and could not get any candidates that she really liked. And so when I showed up, she was probably desperate, right, to have somebody. And I showed up and she said, tell me how this happened. Because I just found out that you were a candidate and I just saw your resume. And I said, I wrote a letter to Marshall Lowe. And she said, what? And I said, so I'm, I was in college and I wrote a letter to Marshall Lowe because I took a finance class and Fortune Magazine helped me figure out. She was just stunned at this story. She was laughing so hard at the, at the whole story. And she said, I love it. So you bought your own plane ticket to come out here? I said, I did. And I've never been to New York. And she was like, what do you think? And I said, I love it. It's terrific. I would love to live here. And she's enjoyed me. She saw my tenacity. She offered me a job almost on the spot. She said, if you will come and you will work hard, I will mentor you. I will help you. Maybe you'll get a job at Fortune Magazine eventually, but I need you to focus on being an executive assistant. Now, I knew what being an executive assistant was, or I thought I did. I had no idea still when I got the job, even the first day, what circulation was. I thought circulation, by the way, is subscriptions, the little cards that are blown into magazines that fall out. That was the department that Brooke was running. And I think it's a story of being yourself. When you're 21 years old, people don't expect you to have tons of experience. They want to figure out if you're 
enjoyable? What are your stories? What are you made of? Right. And more than anything, I mean, you've definitely hired people over the years. I mean, that's, that's what you're looking for. You want somebody to come in the door that you know is going to help you. Right. And that was the story of Fortune Magazine, a long winded story. I love that. And so you stayed at Time Magazine for several years. And by the time you left, you were circulation manager. And from time, you pivoted to CNN in sales. Well, and, and actually you and I, <clears throat> are you okay? Yeah, yeah, sorry. You and I started at CNN around the same time in 1993, which is crazy. That is crazy. Well, and were you in New York as well? No, they hired me to go to Tokyo as a Tokyo correspondent. Wild. That is so wild. Yeah. So I was on the sales side. Actually, it was interesting. When I was at Time, I was asked to work on something called airline circulation. So I don't know if you remember, but all the airlines used to get these copies of magazines and they would put magazines on the airlines. I ended up running that circulation. So I was working closely with my boss, Brooke, to kind of run this circulation, not just for time, but across Fortune Magazine and Sports Illustrated and all the rest of the magazines. And what I realized actually at time, and I think Brooke realized this as well, and this is a story that I share in, in my book, Undaunted, is that I never realized that there was anything wrong with my education until I got to time. And this is where culture comes into play because the, the culture that had been created at time and created before I got there was heavily Ivy League. And so all of the other kids that were getting jobs right out of college were coming from Ivy League schools. And so many people would ask me how I got a job there. And I would say, well, I got this letter to Marshall Love, and I would share the story. And instead, they had graduated from Harvard and Yale and Brown and all these different schools that were obviously different in, in my mind and in their mind than what Arizona State University was. What I realized early on was that I could let that affect me or I could continue doing a great job. I mean, it's something that, you know, my parents used to say to me is more than anything, you focus on what you can control. And like there's things that you can control, things you can't control. And I think this is a situation too, where I couldn't, maybe I could have controlled before I went to a big state school that I could have made a different decision, but I didn't. I was going with these cards and moving forward but I felt like that was going to prevent me from getting into certain levels inside of the company. I wasn't going to be working for Brooke McMurray for all of my years. When I received a recruitment call from CNN, Ted Turner and gentlemen that worked for him, they were starting a group that was going to put monitors inside of airports. And when they saw that I was running the airline circulation, they made this connection, although they were very, very different. That's how I ended up getting the interview. 
And then as the Gulf War was rolling around or rolling into town, that's when I ended up going into straight sales. And it's interesting because talking about culture and talking about CNN, I mean, nobody termed it as a late stage startup, but that's what it was. I mean, you look back on it and it was the wild, wild west, very different culture than what was an established culture at time that was so different at CNN. And certainly when you were there as well, I mean, Ted, I was working in New York and Ted would not be there all the time, but definitely sometimes. And he would walk around and I always say like, that was my first taste of entrepreneurship, really. I mean, definitely my dad, as I mentioned before, was kind of a frustrated entrepreneur, worked inside of a large company. But when I saw Ted have this dream for CNN, and I think CNN was maybe 12% of the country outside of the US, or sorry, 12% of the world outside of the US had CNN. And in the US, it's a little more than 40% had CNN at the time when I first got to CNN, he believed that it would be what it is today. And he was an entrepreneur that was putting stakes in the ground and saying in his suit and cowboy boots, like, this is what will be happening. And we will have 24-hour news. And this is why. That, I think, is something... That was my first lesson in really watching an entrepreneur, a visionary entrepreneur, because you have to be that visionary entrepreneur, that visionary founder who believes. And if you don't believe, no one else is going to be following. That was my experience at CNN. Well, you then moved to another kind of a startup (laughs) at America Online in 1994. And I think ironically, about six years later, after you moved to AOL, it merged with CNN, which was owned by Time Warner. What was your first role at AOL, Kara? And you eventually made it, of course, to vice president of e-commerce and shopping. But where did you start? Yeah, well, when I moved, I I met my husband in New York and we moved out to San Francisco. Uh, He actually wanted to do technology law. And so that's what pulled us out to San Francisco. It's funny. I remember thinking, I always believed in brands. I believed that if you found a brand that you enjoy, that you wanted to use the products or the services, there had to be people there that would gel with you in some way. So the only brand that I thought of when I thought about San Francisco was Apple. I had an Apple computer when I was in college in all of my journalism classes. I had read everything I could read about Steve Jobs. So ideally, I wanted to get a job with Apple. But unfortunately, they were based in Cupertino. Driving from San Francisco, where I was living, to Cupertino is about 100 miles. And I thought, that's probably not going to be doable. Maybe one day, but not every day. As I was doing research for trying to figure out whether or not I could work at Apple, did they have any offices closer to San Francisco? That's when I stumbled upon the startup that was incubated inside of Apple called Two Market. That's where that actually came in between CNN and America Online. This idea was actually incubated by Steve Jobs inside of Apple. They were taking graphics 
from retailers and putting them on this disc. And Steve said, all you have to do is tell the consumer to put it in the machine. And what will happen is that the consumer will upgrade their machine. The graphics will actually load onto the hard drive. The consumer doesn't need to know all the technology behind it. It just will happen while things like dial-up were trying to get faster. It would be a dream to have the connection that we have today. We didn't have that. The days were if your brother in the next room picked up the phone or your roommate, then you'd be disconnected from your computer. You never could get graphics across a machine. And while I was reading about this company, I saw that they were based in San Mateo, which wasn't inside of San Francisco, but it was slightly closer. So I thought, I'm going to pick up the phone and call the person who's quoted in the article. So I did that. He said, what have you been doing in New York? And I said, I just moved here. I'm fascinated by your company. I was at CNN and I just left and I moved out here and I might stay at CNN in one of their satellite offices. But I think more than anything, I'm trying to figure out what's next. And he said, why don't you come down for coffee? He said, I'd love to hear about your experience in working at CNN. The first question he asked me was, what was Ted Turner like? What's it like working for an entrepreneur who has a vision for making big things happen when they're not happening yet? I said, you know, I was going to ask that question. That's what I wanted to know. You had worked at Apple for Steve Jobs. And I'm so curious, like, what was it like? It's funny because at the end of our coffee, that's when he said, we are trying to figure out how to make money on this product. It was a CD-ROM. It was called Two Market. And I said, wait, you guys don't make money yet? I mean, this is crazy. This is all I've been hearing about at CNN, that everybody's interested in making money. And that was, we were selling advertising and it was all about making money. And he said, no, we don't make money yet. And I said, how are you paid? And he said, well, we have investors and equity. And and this whole new world was opened up for me. And so one of the investors was America Online. When I left the office, he sort of soft asked me if I'd be interested in joining. And I thought, what in the world would I do? I'm not an engineer. I'm not a product manager. I know nothing about this other than the fact that I'm a consumer and I love to shop and I know who the retailers are that we should get on this disc. The rest is history. And about a year and a half later, America Online acquired us. They were an investor. And that's how I got to AOL. And so I was essentially doing what I was doing for running all the business development for this company to market for America Online, just on a larger scale. And it's funny, when I think back on that role, I mean, it was... Nobody thought that e-commerce, we called it, not direct-to-consumer. Nobody thought that it was going to be happening. This is by the time when AOL ended up acquiring us, it was 1996-ish, early 97. You know, we were running around, going out to retailers, trying to get them to be on this online service that consumers were paying to be a part of. I didn't even have any budget or revenue numbers. And when I first got there, I mean, it was just go out and sell and try and get people to be a part of this. And then seven years later, it was a billion dollars in revenue to AOL. And as you mentioned, all my former companies came together in one including my husband was an attorney at Netscape. And so his company all came together. It was crazy. 
that was what I was doing and what I was busy doing. I mean, little did I know that those were the early days of direct-to-consumer and very historical in so many ways. But when I was living it, I had no idea. One of the things that really jumps out to me, Cara, as you talk about your courage in reaching out to people you don't know, you didn't know, and the fact that you were researching before you ended up reaching out to some of these folks, it makes me think about the importance of transferable skills. And it's so easy for people to focus on the fact once you did get into the beverage industry that you'd never been, quote unquote, an entrepreneur. But you had lots of transferable skills. I'd love you to talk about how majoring in journalism and maybe some of these prior jobs that you had in the media and in tech helped you crack the code on one of your early big challenges at Hint that involved extending the shelf life of Hint to 18 months, which was like mind-blowing for someone to consider doing without using preservatives. Yeah, you know, it's, again, it's, as Steve Jobs used to say, the dots eventually connect. I mean, when you, I think the tech industry, the, the world that I was living in that I didn't realize at the time, the interesting thing about tech is that you never hear the words, that's impossible. And when I got to the beverage industry, I kept hearing from people who had beverage experience when I wanted a product that didn't have preservatives in it. And I wanted to create that. And I would also hear not just from beverage entrepreneurs and executives, but also people who were actually producing the product. So co-packers, this, we might say that something's impossible, but it's usually because it just hasn't been done yet. And so in tech, you have this mindset that I think the reason why they never say it's impossible is that there's a recognition that goes on that things are possible. They just aren't being done quite yet. And I took that experience and that mindset and brought it in to what I was trying to do and started hint. So even though I was surrounded by people who, who were living in their own box around this can't be done coming from a different industry where I thought they might be right but I might as well try and what's the worst that could happen I always viewed trying as something that could actually be a really great thing there's a possibility that I could fail but if I fail then hopefully I'll learn some things along the way hopefully I'll Maybe I'll find some new interests. Maybe I'll meet some new people too. And I also always believed that I didn't want to be the best in the room. I still believe that, right? I, I think that there was always this thinking growing up, even especially in sports teams that I was a part of. I, I always valued when I wasn't the best one on the team because I always thought that there was like a lot of pressure to be the best one. And instead, I wanted, especially when I was on teams like gymnastics teams or running teams, I wanted people to be better than I was at something because I could watch them. 
and I could admire and I could learn from them and I could be inspired by them. And so I think that there was this, there was a lot of that thinking going on that sort of kept my curiosity going and that I thought I'm surrounded by so many people that know so much more than I do. And I think in many ways, coming from the tech industry where I felt like we were defining things, we were doing things that everybody viewed as impossible, and now they were possible, like direct-to-consumer, the early days of direct-to-consumer, I thought, it's time for me to go back down to the bottom. I don't really care about the title. I don't really care about those things. I want to go learn. And I, I stumbled into an industry that I knew nothing about. And I was amazed at the way that things were getting done. And I could learn a lot. And actually, just to maybe fill in some of the gaps here, what you ended up doing was stumbling upon a way to pasteurize the fruit in Hint, mm-hmm. the way that the fruit industry had been doing, I guess, for years to extend the shelf life. So you actually ended up innovating this process in the beverage industry. Exactly. Well, in the water industry, because that's the thing that was really interesting, that bringing a different mindset, a new way of thinking. When I was running into roadblocks, and I think this is something that I still do today is that I tend not to look inside of my own industry for the answers, right? When, especially when I'm not seeing anybody doing something, I look outside to try and figure out, okay, well, they're doing it this way. And so maybe I can take those learnings and bring it into this industry. And so that's exactly what we were doing. And in the early days of Hint, trying to figure out how to get a longer shelf life, I thought in the juice industry, which again, none of our bottlers were doing juice. They were doing water products. They're doing it here. So how is their equipment different? And trying to actually connect the dots for other people, including our bottlers, was something that people were curious about it. Because I would ask them, I was never afraid to ask questions, but I would ask them, so why is it done that way? And they would say, I don't know why it's done that way. And I thought, here's a person who's running a lot of products on their bottling plants, and they don't know why it's done that way. Maybe it doesn't have to be done that way. And I would say, can we test it? Many of them would say no, most of them, because they were busy and they were had enough business. But then a couple of them said, yeah, I don't know. That's really, I'm really curious about it. So maybe we can. So I think there's a lesson there too. Don't be afraid to take people on your journey with you and ask questions like, why is it done that way? No matter how old you are, no matter how much experience you have, how little experience you have, because when you do that, you tend to show your curiosity and people want to work with people who are asking not a question a minute, but a smart questions, right? That you can see them thinking about something because the people that are the thinkers, the people that are trying to uncover the new are really the ones that are going to change things and disrupt things. I'll tell you what, you would have made 
an amazing journalist if you had decided to go down that path. Cara, the title of your book is Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And it is so easy for those of us who are on the outside, and especially for those who are students who haven't yet begun their journeys, to look at someone like you, an incredibly successful, accomplished businesswoman, and think, Cara is so strong, so resilient. She's been undaunted throughout her life. I'll bet she never experienced imposter syndrome. Would they be correct? I think everybody does at at some point. But I think that the most important thing for you to do is focus on what you can control, right? And also know that so many incredible CEOs, founders, people that maybe you admire on the outside, you don't know all of the challenges and failures that they've had along the way. And I think that it's a combination of working hard, working smart. And even when that happens, they still have challenges and failures along the way. So one of the reasons why I wanted to write my book and share the story is that I think the more authentic we can be, the more we can share our story about the challenges, the more college students can learn about how we actually got it done, how I waitressed when I was in college. I started out as an executive assistant. I focused on working for great people and great brands. And I've had an incredible journey along the way and historical in many, many ways. But unless people know those stories, they think that they go from college to being the CEO of a company, right? There's many things that happen in between. So that was the real thing that I wanted to share with people. I love that. What takeaways do you think there are in the book for those students who are graduating in the spring of 2022, who may be struggling, Kara, thinking that gosh, if I don't get the right job in the right industry when I graduate, I'm screwed. My chances of making it are really, really, really reduced. And with all due respect to you, Andrea, and to you, Kara, you know, things are different now in 2022 than when we graduated. Yeah, I think that Look, the the most important thing to do is focus on something that you enjoy doing every single day. I think that finding that is not easy because I think most people are somewhat programmed into thinking that they should go into a management training program or should go become an entrepreneur or should go into tech or should go into journalism or become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever that is. And I think that the most important thing to focus on instead is what do you enjoy? And that's a hard question to answer. And if you can't answer that, what brands do you enjoy? Because if there is a brand that you enjoy that you really think is pretty interesting, there's probably people that are at that brand as a starting point where you're going to learn something from those people. And I think that 
you know, as I have shared with my kids, if you think it's hard today, think about when my parents were graduating from college many, many years ago, you had one job, you had maybe two jobs for your entire life. You had a lot of pressure to make that decision. I mean, can you imagine like the pressure of picking a job for your whole life? And that was what my dad experienced. And it was like, okay, we're just going to pick one job and then we're going to get a pension and all of those things. That just, to me, that would not be very much fun. That's not where you're going to be learning along the way. That's not where you're going to work for a variety of people. I mean, you're going to be walking in the same door every single day. And so I think figuring out today what you really enjoy doing and knowing that that could change too. In fact, most people I know today start out in media. They don't necessarily start out in media, but in my own experience and, and Andrea's experience starting out in media and then somewhere along the way, they stumble upon something else that really piques their interest. And that was the kind of thing that allowed them to go and decide that they wanted to go and work on something else. There was an opportunity that knocked and they decided to take a chance on it. So pick what you enjoy doing today. And I think as long as you can really go there and articulate why you got there, then it's never a waste of time. Cara, I have one final question, and it is a question I try to ask all time for coffee guests. And that is, if you could go back to ASU and do it all over again, but based on the immense wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? That it's going to be okay, right? That it's just that this is just the start of a journey and that I should always be looking for opportunities where I'm going to be learning, where at times I'm, I mean, I thought a C was failing, right? And I was devastated. I probably cried. I mean, I thought it was the worst thing in the world, but instead that opened me up to a lot of things, including going to New York, trying to get a job at Fortune that didn't necessarily work out. That led me to other pieces. So allow yourself to experience the journey. Just going to school is just step number one. But I think living and getting up every day and leading with learning is really the key thing that I would continue telling myself. Fantastic. And also having the courage to push yourself out of your comfort zone the way that Kara has done. Kara's book is entitled Undaunted and her podcast is called The Kara Golden Show. You're definitely going to want to follow that and tune in. Kara, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the Tea for Seek community. What you have accomplished over the course of this journey so far is incredible. And I can't wait to see where you are in the coming years. Thank you so much. I really loved it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. 
Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.